I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Sapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Not so famous in New Jersey. If you're a regular listener to my podcast, you know that I ended my last episode halfway through my conversation with club owner and comedian Vinnie Brand. But our discussion was so compelling that I felt like I had to include a lot more of it. So I'm giving you the second half of our conversation. Well, most of the rest of our conversation, some of it had to be edited, but not much. There is a little bit of profanity, some discussion about drugs, and maybe a couple of other adult conversations. We ended the first half of our discussion talking about whether rape is ever funny. My question is, is rape ever funny? And the reason that I bring it up is because, as you know, Margaret Cho had a very controversial appearance at the Stress Factory where she began talking about rape. So can rape be funny? Well, what happened with her joke was a friend of hers had just died. She repeated the joke. She was out of her element. And so she repeated it again and again. Now, the joke didn't get a laugh. And it didn't take much for them to abandon her and in a, in a fairly publicly displayed way. Mm-hmm. So Margaret's a brilliant comic, good friend. And so we defended her. You know, people were saying she was on drugs or whatever, and that was not the case. She was just having a bad, a bad night. You know, it's funny when Tom Brady has a bad night, he ends the press conference in two minutes, and people say, well, you know, he had a bad game. And that's really the, essentially the thing, right? Now, to your question, can rape be funny? I, there's a there's someone that's going to make a joke that's going to utilize the word and make it comical. Can rape itself be funny? I mean, not to me. Some people believe that the comedian should be allowed to say anything he wants to say. And I happen to believe that. But I also believe that the audience has the right to say, I don't care for it. So we live in this vacuum world where people say, Well, I can say whatever I want, and you can't be offended by it. Well, wait a minute. If you can say whatever you want, I can be offended by whatever I want. And I can walk out. Right. And that's the thing. Now, if you arrested a comedian and took away his right to liberty and freedom and put him in jail for a joke about anything, well, that's taking away their rights. Walking out and taking away their commerce, that's your decision. So to me, there are things I don't find humorous. I don't believe that everything should be a joke. That's my personal choice. If someone else wants to make a joke, that's up to them. Now, Patrice O'Neill references rape in a joke that's hysterically funny. That's why I don't litter. I don't throw garbage in the street. Not because I care about the earth, but I'm afraid I'm going to be walking through the park drinking a soda. And when I'm done, I just throw it on my shoulder, flower bush, and land on some dead white woman's head with my fingerprints on the can. <laughs> now I'm the Pepsi Cola rapist because I'm lazy. It's not a rape joke. Right. It uses the concept. It's funny. Rape itself is not funny. Have you ever banned a comedian from your club? Eddie Griffin's not welcome back. And why is that? Eddie Griffin had a moment at the club where he worked this two weeks in a row, back-to-back, Bridgeport and New Brunswick. In New Brunswick, he did something that caused the sound system to trip. It's never tripped ever in 30 years except that time. And he went on stage. He was upset. And he walked off stage and said, I'm not working here anymore. We had four sold-out shows. 
we talked to him during the second show, and we told this guy, you just can't push the sound system all the way up. In that, the, what he was doing was causing a problem. He did it a second time. At the second time, he said, Vinnie Brand's no good. He's a racist. Leave here without paying the bills. And that went viral. Everyone did. Uh, it was an attack on my character. It was an attack on decency. Uh, it was patently untrue. And so he then didn't show up on Saturday for any of the shows. So I didn't ban him. I didn't issue an edict. Uh, he just, he's not welcome back. Yeah, yeah. So have I banned comics? I mean, no. Eddie Griffin is not welcome back. Yeah. Tell me what you think of something that Dave Chappelle said. He said that a comedian is really two people, the onstage person and the offstage person. And in his opinion, the offstage person is the faker, while the onstage guy is being his real self. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, that's true for Dave. It's next to impossible for me to say that he's wrong for Dave, much like it's impossible for him to say it's true for Vinnie Brand. And I think really good comics, my opinion is that really good comics are themselves on stage. And that would have been a more, to me, a more accurate comment, is that maybe the really good comic is more likely to be himself. Because comedy should be very genuine. So if you're really yourself on stage, well, then you're probably really good. What do you think of the controversy over Louis C.K. asking up-and-coming comedians to watch him masturbate? What do you think of that as, as, as a person? I mean, here he is. He's this really successful comedian. And here are these women that are hoping that he's going to help them. And he's going, oh, let me masturbate in front of you. And then going, well, they said it was okay. I mean, do you think that there's a disconnect within him about what is okay and what was abusing his, his power as a successful person? Not close enough to say that there's a disconnect. It's not something I would ever do. My personal belief is that he likely never thought, I have this power, let me abuse it. Mm -hmm. I don't think, and I know Louis a little bit, another very sweet guy. And listen, we're all, we've all made these mistakes. Not that mistake, <laughs> right? But we've all made mistakes that yeah. we're not thrilled with. Now, I do not believe that Louis said, I can do this because I have power. Right. It was an unconscious, like, I always like to do this, and Lee ask her if it's okay. I, I, I mean, I, it was kind of stupid. It's stupid, unacceptable, it's weird, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Not what we would, it's not what you, you would hope that's, a, yeah. that's not widely done, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but I don't believe he did that as an expression of power. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing. We're all victims of our time. And so there is a collective, and that collective makes you sometimes operate in this other space. So I'll give you a good example of what I'm talking about. When I was a kid, there were magazine ads for Spanish Fly. Put her in the mood. Mm -hmm. What was it? It was a pill. You drop it in her drink and you give her the drink. It was a Mickey. It was an ad for a Mickey. Now, what Bill Cosby did, it's, it's terrible, it's odd, it's, it's all of these things. But Bill Cosby saw those ads. And I'm not saying that he gets a pass. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that there is a collective consciousness that allows a certain behavior. Look at today. Today we just made marijuana legal. Now I don't smoke marijuana. I've never smoked marijuana. I've never tried marijuana. But in legalizing marijuana, we have made it, in my opinion, more okay. They're moving goalposts all the time. So in 2021, it's okay to smoke marijuana. But in 2020, it got you arrested. Yeah. Now, maybe Cosby did something and probably did do something 
that was beyond slipping her a Spanish fly. But I believe in redemption. So I, I can look back on my life and see things I did that I, I'm not proud that I did them or you know mistakes that I may or may not have made. And some of those mistakes are part of the learning process. And we see this in our, in our culture right now. This cancel culture moment is toxic for the following reason. Yes, of course, our country has a past that is riddled with mistakes. So we should, we should recognize that there have been mistakes made. Yeah, I think we have. I think we we, we have recognized that. No, a lot of things people haven't. I, I don't, I'm not being confrontational. No, 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 I know, I am. Tell me one. <laughs> well, overthrow the government in the Congo or to overthrow the, the Iranian government that was elected and put the Shah in there. Those are things that we don't really talk about. Are there people that don't believe their errors? Of course. You know, there are people that believe Babe Ruth should have been traded from Boston. So there's always going to be some cohort of people that say, well, I disagree. And that's okay. That's part of our culture as well. Now, back to my original premise, which is cancel culture being short-sighted. It's short-sighted to want to ignore history because it happened. It's history. Right. But there's a difference between acknowledging history and honoring what happened. I agree. So, yes, Jefferson Davis led the Confederate insurrection against the United States. I saw a statue walking in. <laughs> the one in my yard, yeah. <laughs> but should we honor him with a statue? No. no. Same way in, in Germany, you'll never see a statue of Hitler. Right. This constant looking back with 21st century eyes in 19th, 18th, and 20th century occurrences. Now, on the other side, I mean, you're talking about cancel culture, and that's usually what the right wing says about the left wing. But who's taking books out of the school curriculum, like hidden figures, because it's, I guess, too diverse. Black women that were computers in the space program. They've taken them out of the school because that's diversity. And that's that's critical race theory, because they don't know what critical race theory is. So anything about blacks is now considered critical race theory. That's cancel culture. Cancel culture is not the domain of either party. Yeah. There There are components of both extremes we're now, we now live in a culture of people, unacceptably large percentage of people, that are offended because they've been told to be offended. Right now, Columbus Day is my favorite example. People hate Columbus Day now. I hate it. But they all take it off. <laughs> okay? They all take it off. You know, when you see a statue of Christopher Columbus, it's your first reaction. We should rip down that symbol of white hatred and oppression and throw it in the river march right to City Hall. Or, oh, snap, I've got Monday off. I mean, what's your reaction to it? <laughs> You want to get back to funny? Yeah, I'm going to get back to comedy here. It's all comedy. Yeah. (laughs) What goes through your head on stage when you're not connecting with the audience? I don't have that anymore. And I I, I don't know if that sounds cocky. I just don't have that. And that's understandable because it's it's now it's your regular job. It's like I'm in sales and I don't have to prepare before I go on a sales call because I know what I'm doing. Right. It's like a surgeon. You know, I just had a colonoscopy. My guy (laughs) came in and we were just chatting. Yeah, we're just talking and laughing and... And then he does his job. I, don't, I sure hope that he wasn't going, okay, remember now, stick the tube in and this. <laughs> I, I hope he wasn't doing that. This end goes in. Don't confuse the eyepiece with the ass piece. <laughs> We're talking about comedy being a little bit like baseball in the, in the sense that you can fail 70% of the time and still be considered really good. In chess, you have to strategize about five moves ahead. Do you think comedy can be like chess? 
I think that's also one of those, it's an individualized question. Some comics sit in the green room and they're going to go down that list perfectly and really construct it and they're constructionist comics. That set is going to move flawlessly from joke one to the closing joke. And some guys are extemporaneous. I'm a blend. I kind of know where I want to go. You know, when I'm doing a set, by the fifth set of a weekend, I know what I'm going to do. I just don't make it rigid. Ray mm-hmm. Romano never made it rigid. I learned it mm-hmm. from him. He was in the club before he got really, really big. And uh, no two sets were identical. And I said, Ray, how come it's all different orders? And he said, I, I want to have fun. He goes, and it lets me discover more accurately the value and strength of a joke and the strength of an order. And that, that answer worked for me. You know, he was really a underrated as a comic. Mm-hmm. Great comic. No, he is really funny. Oh, my God. The show is great. His stand-up was great. Yeah. Ray, and Ray is a very nice guy. But Ray is was always a gentleman. So comedy can be like baseball. Comedy can be like chess. Can comedy be like sex? <laughs> How? <laughs> is comedy like sex? I mean, I, I mean sometimes sometimes you you know you <laughs> I mean, we, you know with sex sometimes just everything clicks and it's really great and you haven't planned it and it just happened the right way. Other times you might plan it all out and it doesn't quite make it. So <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Listen, this is what comedy is like. Comedy, to me, is just like life. I'm going to leave here today. I'm going to drive, and hopefully I'm going to get home. But we really don't now. And so, to me, comedy is everything. And when I think about comedy, and I think about what I want to do on stage, and how I want to impact on people, I want people, at the end of my show, to feel better. Mm -hmm. And it's... It's not money, but I love money as a result. It's not fame, but I love fame as a result. It's me watching you really laugh and really feel good. And knowing that when I'm going home, that whatever was going on that made you go to that club, that I did my job, which was to make you laugh. You know, it's funny. Before I knew that you knew Barry and Lynn, I had promised to do this podcast. And then, of course, you know, I had more things to do than I can have time to do. And so the other day... I reached out for you because you've been so unbelievably pleasant and patient and nice. And other people at this point would have said, fuck, fuck you yourself. Asshole. Right? <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, go with me because you have to pick the baby up at three o'clock and I won't yeah. necessarily feel trapped. And then two seconds later, when you texted that about Lynn, <laughs> I said to Vicky, I'm probably going to be a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like a little piece of candy for the world? Mm-hmm. Like, Here's this thing, you said you would do it, and you're going to honor your commitment, you're being a good guy, and life rewards you. by I'm finding out that you have a connection to two people that... That you love. I love. Yeah. You have two clubs, right? Two clubs and a restaurant. Just tell me where they are so I can make sure they include it. So the New Brunswick Room is on Church Street in New Brunswick. All of the greatest innovations at the club, so many of them were buried. And then the other club is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which was built after Barry passed away. The restaurant right next door is in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's a labor of love. It's a ton of fun. Is it also the Stress Factory up in Connecticut? Yeah. It's Vinnie Brand's Stress Factory Comedy Club and Vicky Brand's Gather Tap and Tavern, which is a restaurant concept we're rolling out. Vicky's been the person that put me back together in life. What about you upsets Vicky the most? About me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, we need a list. Listen, we have a very unique marriage because we get along very, very, very well. So I think Vicky would tell you that when she talks, I don't listen. But the problem is I have five daughters and a wife. And throughout time, I've been subjected to a lot of unnecessary banter. 
So <laughs> through natural selection, my brain is, has learned to filter out the female voice. <laughs> so I just... <laughs> that's what she would tell that's me. That's okay. All right, here's... here's tell my, me you're not going to edit this. This oh, is such no, a good No, I'm leaving everything in. No. <laughs> I love this interview. You're a good interviewer. Oh, and you. I think there were moments when I got too serious on you. No, no, it was actually exactly what I was looking for. Oh, thank you. It's so sweet. So, is okay. there only one cup of coffee? Is that the deal? No, would you like another cup of coffee? Yeah, I can't even believe you call it coffee talk. You should call it one cup of coffee, get the fuck out. Well, I mean, like, I'm you were here, so engaging and interesting. I didn't it. even think to make, would you like another cup of coffee? Can I get a little coffee and can you heat that up for me? I'm going to yes, take a bite of the cheesecake so you don't feel bad. Right. So do, we have, do you have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, good. And by the way, the food in your club is very good. Thank you very much. That's I mean, very nice. Usually you go to a place that you're, like, you're not going there for the food, but it actually was really good. <laughs> we really try hard. And we just innovated, if you haven't been there in a while, we just changed over to cooking our burgers and our chicken sandwiches in sous vide. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. Well, sous vide is it's sealed in a bag. Ah. It's marinated in that sealed bag. And then it's cooked in a hot water bath and then finished on the grill. Oh, okay. And you say, well, why? Your burgers were good because they're even better now. Mm. So that's why. And we put a lot into it because I eat there a lot. So I want the food to be good. Yeah. You know, I want the kitchens clean. That's what an owner does, right? <laughs> the comedian comes in and goes, all right, I'm going up on stage, and I'm going to do the jokes, and I'm going to get paid. It's more involved. It's more rewarding in a lot of ways. And, of course, yeah, I would love to be the guy that could go to Des Moines and have a 1,000 people lined up to see me. And you walk in, and they're there to see you. In the old days, you went to Des Moines, and there was a 1,000 people to see comedy. And that was more exciting because if they weren't there to see you, well, that was exciting because mm -hmm. they might not like you. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's a little bit of a fish-in-a-barrel scenario. You have everyone there to see whatever comic they came to see. They already know and like that guy. But, you know, there's an interesting thing is that when I saw Ray Romano for the first time, I had no idea who Ray Romano was. In fact, he was middling for George Wallace, who I didn't know. Mm. And um, both very funny guys. Ray was having a better set than George Wallace was. And I know why that is, because I didn't know George Wallace, but that audience did. So they already they knew. They had expectations. Well, they knew the jokes. So if you go in and see Springsteen and he plays a brand new song, you're on your phone, you're checking your email. But when Born to Run starts, you're, the phone's away and you're singing along because it's fun to know the song, mm -hmm. not fun to know the joke. The interesting thing now is that comedians are now turning to podcasts. They don't have to travel. Mm -hmm. doesn't cost them anything. Mm -hmm. And they can make money from it. Yes. Is that cutting into your business? No, it's expanding it because then people go to see the podcast mm. guy. What it's changing is the journeyman nature of a comic. Where when I was sent to Des Moines as a headline comic, that no one knew who you were. A journeyman could go in and make that audience laugh and win a new audience. It's changing the winning of it all. So when you walk on stage to see an audience that's there to see you, you don't have to win them. That battle's been done. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to introduce, and guys are slowly finding is that I've been saying it for years, what I call the maintaining is now the fight. Because they know Sebastian's going to go, what's going on with that? Well, I yeah. can't do good Sebastian until I hear him. When you know Bill Burr's going to be upset, well, now the writing has to keep you there. So maintaining the audience, it's one step harder, in a sense, than winning them. Mm -hmm. Because when you win them, they discover you. Well, it's like Eddie Murphy. He hasn't done comedy in years. Right. And like, I think he's afraid to try to do it again. He is. Because well, he Charlie, was great. He was Charlie great would come day. into the club, and Charlie, I'd say to Charlie, when's Eddie going to do it? And he'd say, hey, he's coming, he's coming. And he said to me, Eddie's concerned that when he gets up there, he hasn't done it in so long. Now, Eddie Murphy was always a great comic. But if you play Eddie Murphy delirious today, 
It's the most unwoke hour in the history oh, of comedy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, hey, Norton. <laughs> Start fucking. Yeah. I know. I love that album. <laughs> oh, my God. And so, you know, but I think that what podcasting is doing is going to change. People are going to go see you. That's going to be a better experience for the comic. Initially, it may be the thing that you burn through. You better write a lot of material. Mm-hmm. I write a lot of material, and I'm not burning through. But I've been conditioned to write a lot because I'm at my club a lot. Right. And I see the same face a lot. So I've been conditioned to constantly experiment. And it's hard now because you can't, I mean, it used to be you can go on road and practice, you know, like you can try out a new app. You can't do that because people have their cell phones. Everybody's recording it. Everybody's putting it online. You can't fail in Muskogan or wherever because somebody's going to put it online and everybody's going to say it. We work very hard to make sure you can't record. We work at that because mm. it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. I have to wrap, but I would come and do this again with you. This is really fun. But let me ask you my last question since we have to wrap. What would you like your gravestone to say? Uh, He's not here yet. (laughs) (laughs) Vinny, thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you. I had a great time. So did I. (laughs) Did you like that answer? I have been having a great time doing this podcast, and I wanted to give you a little update. I will be posting a new conversation every three weeks. No, not the third week of the month, every three weeks, on the Friday of that week, because I like to be difficult. Let me know what you think of my podcast, and let me know if there are artists in New Jersey or associated with New Jersey that you think I should be interviewing. And maybe I will. I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Osapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Not so famous in New Jersey.